Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon Supplemental. This is 5S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. So we have been super serving the topic of demons. I really didn't mean for it to go on this long. It's just that preachers keep talking about it, and um, it, it keeps featuring heavily in parts of sermons and things like that. So I think that I'm going to shove demons off to the side. I'm going to make them their own special segment, and uh, we'll do uh, supplementals periodically, uh, I think. It's it's just not something that can walk away. After our show last week, Brian with a Y uh, commented something to that. I don't have the comment in front of me. Sorry, Brian. Uh, something to the effect, it's been a week and counting, and still no Christians have come out with any evidence of demons. Brian, I hear you. I feel your pain. I'm right here, buddy, and I'm going to bring you the evidence that you have been pining for. Christians won't do it. I'll do it for them. We're going to go over an article. Uh, it's a kind of a long article. Bear with me. It's one from the Christian Post. That is the name of the news outlet. So you know it's legitimate. The Christian Post. This story is all over mainstream media, though. So uh, you can read it uh, in any place you choose. I just thought I would go with the Christian Post. Uh, this is one of the longer articles has a lot of details, uh, a lot of interesting tidbits. It's in two parts, really. Uh, the first part, I'm the one who breaks it up into two parts. First part talks about the actual horrific thing that we're going to talk about. The second part goes into other stuff that's also interesting. I'm not really giving a lot of information, am I? Uh, I'm going to have the computer help me read this one. It's a long article, and... Um, I don't want to do it in my computer. Well, that's what I pay it for. So um, without any further ado, Brian, here's your evidence. You're welcome. This is going to cause you to throw up. Headline, after girl three dies in botched exorcism at Pentecostal church, ritual takes spotlight. Computer, help me out. Officials at a small Pentecostal church in San Jose, California, confirmed that a three-year-old girl died within their walls last September after undergoing a botched exorcism, bringing a renewed spotlight on the practice of expelling demons from individuals believed to be possessed. Okay, there's so much just in this first paragraph, and let's not lose sight of the real horror here. A three-year-old girl is dead. She died within their walls, which is a very religiously way to talk. You, you, mainstream media would not say that. <laughs> they would just say died in their church. She died within their walls. Um, that That's just creepy already, and it, it gives you a little bit of a um, taste of what's to come. She died uh, during a demon possession. And uh, it, you know, says right up front, expelling demons from individuals 
this is a this is a practice by some Christians in some churches expelling demons from individuals believed to be possessed. Did you notice that? Believed to be possessed. Why must they use that language? Remember, this is a Christian a Christian news outlet. Why didn't they just say expelling demons from individuals who are possessed? Well, they can only say believed to be possessed because there's no way of truly determining whether a person is possessed or not. Did you catch that? Here's here's another thing I wonder if you caught. Um, it's right in the headline, and uh, here it's in the first paragraph of the story. Undergoing a botched exorcism. Once again, a mainstream newspaper or news outlet would not have called it a botched exorcism. They would have just called it an exorcism. <laughs> that's that's because it's just an exorcism. Only a Christian outlet, I think, would call it a botched exorcism because what they are trying to do is carve out a room for exorcisms. Exorcisms are okay. Exorcisms are legitimate. Exorcisms worked. This one just happened to be botched. So uh, it allows them to kind of carve out this particular exorcism from the whole body of work of exorcisms. Exorcisms were good. This one just went wrong. A botched exorcism. But once again, I have to ask, how did, how did, how did they know it was botched? What, made, what makes it botched? I know the victim died, but the surgery was a success. It, no more demon. So what's, uh, by what, uh, criteria, do you call it botched? Is it just because the person died? Because the mother doesn't think it was botched. The preacher who did it doesn't think it was botched. The family members don't think it was botched. This is, this is editorial from the Christian post. They have to say it's botched so that it doesn't look like, well, exorcisms are just bad things. They they want to make it clear, well, you know, this one may have gone a little bit awry. Okay. Let's get a little further. This is going to take forever. Reem Huzo, who leads Iglesia Apostoles Why Prophetess where three-year-old Arlie Naomi Proctor died, and is also her grandfather, insists that they were simply trying to follow the Bible when the girl's mother brought her to the church seeking deliverance from demons. Okay, again... A short paragraph, so much stuff in there. We got to we got to stop. Uh, we got to stop stopping. But if you don't speak Spanish, like I don't speak Spanish, um, then the name of this church may slip past you, and you may not recognize the significance of it. Iglesia Apostolis y Profetas. I know I'm, I probably said that wrong. That literally translates. Church of the Apostles and Prophets. That's what that is. Church of the Apostles and Prophets. Whenever you have a church 
that's named something other than say first street Baptist church, you know, 42nd and more church of Christ, (laughs) you know, something like that. Whenever you've got a church that has something else going on in the name besides, you know, it's denomination, it's location, it's a warning sign. Now, I'm not saying that they're expelling demons left and right in every search church. Almost all Catholic churches, for instance, uh, you know, have some kind of special name, uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, Church of the Sacred Mother, and the Seven Dwarf Apostles. I mean, they all have <laughs> some kind of name. Then again, all Catholic churches believe in demon possession, so maybe maybe my warning here holds up. But it, in my experience uh, in visiting a church, I uh, visiting churches, I used to have a website uh, once upon a go called churchvisitor.com. I don't know if it's still on some dark web somewhere, but um, I only did it for a short time. But I would go around to churches, uh, and visit them, uh, record their services, interview uh, the people, and just bring people a taste of you know, different uh, churches. This is what people do. 4S is kind of a renewal of that, except I'm not actually going around to uh, churches anymore, doing things a little bit differently, but the, the spirit of it lives on. And in my experience, anytime I saw a church uh, that had a name like Church of the True Holy Bible Followers of Jesus Christ, there's something fucked up going on in that church. It's there. There's something crazy. Whenever they've got to add a bunch of names, they've got to add a bunch of words to uh, validate themselves. It's a warning sign. This is the church of the apostles and the prophets, because you know what? The apostles weren't enough here. (laughs) It couldn't just be the church of the apostles. No, the apostles and the prophets. This is a warning sign for you Christians out there who are visiting, you know, uh, maybe visiting relatives in a town that you don't, you don't usually go and you want to go to church on Sunday. When you see churches with names like that, go the other direction. Keep looking until you find a church with a boring name, because there's something fucked up going on in any church that has to add a bunch of sacred words uh, to their name, it's it's just wrong. Uh, the three-year-old, uh, I don't want to lose sight once again. It's about the three-year-old. She has a name, Arlie Naomi Proctor. Um, some stories <coughs> don't mention that, and this one often refers to her as the victim. I want you to think of her as Arlie, because she was a person. She's not just some character in a Bible story with no name. And she shouldn't be treated that way. And the story says uh, here that she died. (coughs) That's not true either. She was murdered. And I want you to remember it that way too. She was murdered during a cultic ritual. 
I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot of coughing. I'm not going to mute it out. I'm not going to edit this out. It's just my life these days. And um, the, the person who did this, who oversaw this, one of the people involved, her grandfather, <coughs> also her mother, her, the mother's brother, so the child's uncle, there were several people involved. This is a family affair. And the preacher, the grandfather, insists that he was simply trying to follow the Bible. Once again, there, there we've gone off the rails. Anytime someone is doing something and the justification that they're doing it, whether it's good or bad, the, when the justification is, oh, I was, I was just following the Bible, that's a red flag. You should not surround your people yourself with people whose justification for their actions is, oh, I was just following the Bible. Oh, I just want to follow the Bible. <coughs> Especially if they go to a church with a bunch of buzzwords. It always ends badly. And how did this child get to that church? Her mother brought her to the church seeking deliverance from demons. How did the mother determine that this child was possessed by demons? Keep that question in your mind. The article does go over that. But at the beginning of this article, it just gives you a lot of things to question. This is a statement from, uh, from the grandfather. If you read the Bible, you'll see that Jesus casts away demons and made sick people healthy again, Huzo told the Mercury News in a recent interview. It's not when I want to do it, it's when God in his will wants to heal the person. Okay. Hang on right there. It's not when I want to do it, he's talking about healing. You know, maybe I want to heal people all the time. It's not when I want to do it. It's when God in his will wants to heal a person. Just another religious buzzword alert. In his will, that's a religious buzzword. It's completely unnecessary. He could have just said, it's when God wants to heal a person. No, it's when God in his will, because now we can add a, a little bit more mysticism here. <laughs> when God in his will wants to heal a person. Whenever you hear people talking like that in real life, unfriend them from your social media, unfriend them from your real life, block them from your, uh, your phone, your email, uh, tell them you've changed your address, get them out of your life. They are fucked up. The preacher is like an instrument of God. What we do is what God says. Right, you see, it, it's not me. I didn't murder this, I didn't murder this kid. I, I was only doing what God said. This is what God said. I'm an instrument of God. I don't have anything to do it do with it. I mean, maybe the demon stays in or maybe the demon comes out. It's God's will. I'm just doing what God says. I'm just the instrument of God. You can't blame me for this. Why are you looking at me? The Santa Clara County Medical Examiner's Office ruled that Arlie Naomi Proctor's death was a homicide caused by asphyxiation and arrested her. 
Mother, Claudia Hernandez, in January on felony child abuse charges. Thank God for a little bit of sanity. You see, whereas this news story uh, just says, oh, it's a botched exorcism, the police say, yeah, it's homicide. According to a police report, at around 8.12pm on the 24th of September 2021, the San Jose Police Department Hernandez reported that her daughter passed away at the church located at 1094 S. 2nd Street. When police responded to the scene they found, Hernandez, Pastor Huzo who is her father as the child's uncle, Arlie Naomi Proctor III died of death by asphyxiation in September 2021, during a botched exorcism at Iglesia Evangelica Apostoles. Why Prophetess in San Jose, California screenshot Instagram Elisades, after the child was pronounced dead at Valley Medical Center at 8.59 p.m. Officers learned that the suspects believed the child was possessed by a demon and they were at the church praying for her. How did the officers learn that, by the way? I'll tell you how the officers learned that. The people told the officers that. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, but this, it gets crazier and crazier. Now, they gave the address uh, here, so I'm not doxing anybody. This is a church. Uh, you can go there today. Uh, you know, in, in this town, I can't remember what town it is. It's, was it San Jose? Uh, 1094 South 2nd Street. Okay, I'm just, I'm just highlighting that address. If you happen to be there and you're looking for a church and you see that one, keep looking. Don't go there. Don't go there. Hernandez told police that her daughter was possessed by an evil spirit and that she attempted to stick her finger down the victim's throat and squeeze the victim's neck to induce vomiting, the report said. Okay, well, okay. This is so not funny. I have to, I have to laugh so that I don't cry. Uh, the first time I read this story, well, you, you, didn't, you don't want to be there the first time I read this story, but... Um, yeah, this is how the police uh, know that. This is this is her statement. <laughs> uh, and these people think this is perfectly normal behavior. Uh, this is what uh, this is what the mother told the police. I I thought my child was possessed by an evil spirit. Those words came out of her mouth and it felt perfectly sane to her to say that. And she describes what she did as if that's not a crime. That's just what you do when you think your child is possessed by an evil spirit. She attempted, and I'll come back to this too, attempted to stick her finger down the victim's throat and squeeze the victim's neck to induce vomiting. How, how do you induce vomiting? Does that involve wrapping your whole hand around a neck and squeezing it? I may be a little, um, maybe a little off here, but I don't think that is a prescribed way of 
inducing vomiting because there may be a time when you need to induce vomiting. Maybe someone has swallowed something uh, and it's poisonous. You happen to know it's poisonous and you want to, you know, get them to throw it up. I, you know, we could talk Heimlich maneuver. Um, You wrap your hand around the throat and squeeze the victim's neck to induce vomiting. What what medical manual does that come out of exactly? And and she it says attempted to stick her finger down the victim's throat. Why weren't you successfully able to stick your finger down the victim's throat? Might it be that the child was fighting for her life. The child fell asleep several times as Hernandez pushed down on the victim's throat with her hand. The child had several brownouts, grayouts. At no point, at no point did they think, well, this isn't working. Maybe we should try something else. Hernandez further stated that her daughter suffered bruises around her eyes, throat, neck, and chest during the ordeal. She also told police that they waited for one to two hours after her daughter passed before calling 911. Okay. Is, this might be the height of the sickness of the story. I don't know. Every, every detail about this is, um, is terrible. It's one of the worst things I've read in my life, <laughs> honestly. Um, the daughter suffered bruises around her eyes. Now remember, they're trying to induce vomiting. Why are there bruises around her eyes? Because someone has their hand on her head, squeezing for dear life as she struggles to get away. She, you can just see the scene. She's scared. She's in pain. It is clear even to a three-year-old, everybody in her life is crazy and she is doing everything to get away and they are holding her down. They've got her, they've got her by the head. They've got her by the throat. They've got her by the chest, bruising on all these places, mind you. They've got her around the waist. Several people, this is not the work of one person, several people are forcibly holding her down in this process for a long time. You, you remember the story about the demon-possessed man in the tombs and, you know, they chained him up and he was, you know, super strong. And, okay, let's just, let's just take the story literally for a moment. Maybe this man was like this child. He isn't the one that was possessed. The people were. And he was the one trying to get away from them. And they would hold him down and he would fight and struggle, seemingly superhuman strength, and they would chain him up uh, and he would fight and struggle. Well, maybe the reason he's doing all of that fighting and harming himself is because he's trying like hell to get away from these people. 
in this story, um, they waited for two hours after the girl died before calling 911. What the hell were they doing for two hours after she died? Were they praying for her resurrection? I don't know. Were they thanking God for the deliverance? This is possible. Keep reading the story. Um, seems like if I were involved in something like that, and maybe this is just my evil, devious, atheist mind, what I would do in that two hours is bury the body, and then I would call 911 and say, my daughter has gotten away. She's gotten out of her room and out of the house. We can't find her. Help us find our daughter. They could have done that. They were all in kooks. They could have done that. You know why they didn't do that? Because they thought, hey, uh, exorcism, killing, the, killing, the, uh, killing your kid in the name of uh, Jesus and casting out demons is perfectly okay. Trump has released us. In a subsequent interview with police, Hernandez revealed that the night before she brought her daughter to the church, she started to believe her daughter was possessed because she would wake up and scream or cry periodically. Well, hey, sorry, computer, sorry to stop you. Uh, it, once again, she. <laughs> these are things that they felt comfortable telling the police. They should have at least had enough self-awareness to lie about some of the stuff. They could have done that. <laughs> this is information they are freely volunteering. So um, what was the sign of demon possession? Uh, Brian, I, I told you uh, that I had found evidence of demon possession here. And I have. You can see it in the story right there. Um, the mother started to believe uh, that her daughter was possessed because she would wake up and scream or cry periodically. Demons. Done. We've proven it. <laughs> A three-year-old child periodically cries at night. Obviously, demons. <laughs> demons. Nothing else can explain that. <laughs> Furthermore, this isn't a series of these things happening. This isn't like, oh, well, she's been doing this for ages and we've tried everything. We've taken her to all the doctors. We've taken her to the pediatrician. Uh, and no one can figure out why she keeps waking up crying. No, no, no. No, no, no. This happened the night before. Apparently, this is the first time it happened. <laughs> So uh, a well-behaved child who slept well one night has uh, some moments where she's having a nightmare and she wakes up screaming or crying. The mother, she thinks something is going wrong. Here's what you will not find in this entire article. You will not find the word doctor, pediatrician. At no point does she think, oh, my child might be suffering a medical problem. She might be in pain. Maybe I should have her looked at. No. Her first thought, 
her only thought is, God, my, my child wakes up one time and she's crying at night because, I mean, three-year-olds, they never do that. That's really weird. Demons. That's how you know that your three-year-old is possessed by a demon because they act like a three-year-old. She said she and her brother prayed for her daughter in a bedroom until they decided to drive her to the church at 6.30 a.m. on the 24th of September. Oh, okay, stop, stop. <laughs> okay, sorry. We're going to get through this eventually. <laughs> um, so they, she, I don't know where the brother came in. You know, I don't know if she had to get on the phone and call. Uh, are they living together? I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to assume that they're not. She had to call him. She didn't call a doctor. <laughs> so uh, she calls her brother. And uh, they come in. He comes in. And they pray. Once again, you think something might be wrong with your child. No, likely there's nothing wrong with your child. But you, you think there might be something wrong. And your first instinct is to pray. I'm going to call my brother, who's not a doctor, and we're going to pray because that'll work. Surely, whatever is going on, that prayer, that's going to fix it. Except here's the problem. They prayed probably for a while here until they decided, okay, until they decided to drive her to the church. The prayer didn't work. This is the thing I want you to note from this short paragraph. They're being faithful to their beliefs. The first thing they do is, you know, she calls someone so that it's not just her and they pray and it doesn't work. So what do you do, Christians? When you do everything right that you know, um, and it doesn't work, will you double down on the crazy and take it to the next level? That's what you do. Defendant still believed the victim to be possessed. Defendant stated she held the victim around her waist and neck to help her throw up. Oh, ooh. Okay, so after the prayer, she still thinks victim's possessed. Prayer doesn't work, people. So she goes to restraining her, holding her down by her waist and neck. Every time I see the word neck show up in this article, uh, it just, it, I feel constricted. I, I, can, I can feel the, the fingers and someone pushing the whole weight of their body down on my neck. Can you feel that? Uh, to help her throw up because of course the Bible is full of examples of Jesus casting out demons by making them throw up. Right. Where do you get that from? Where do you get in your fever dream imagination that demons can just be vomited out? Have you been watching supernatural again? Which she believed would help her get the spirit out. At times defendant attempted to open the victim's mouth with her hands. 
At some point, victim's grandfather arrived. At the church to assist them in prayer the police report said. After that defendant victim's uncle and victim's grandfather were all holding victim attempting to cause her to vomit. One individual was holding victim by the neck, while one held her around her abdomen, and the last held her around her legs. Okay, did you notice how many times it called Arlie victim? <coughs> it's, it's, it feels like unpersoning this child. Again, this is, a, this is an editorial choice here. Um, let's not think of her as a human being that was murdered. Now, victim, that's a, that's a strong word too, because it implies that something was done to her. But it's it, it does not quite give her the personhood as you know calling her by her goddamn name. <coughs> Arlie Naomi Proctor was murdered by every member of her family they could get in a church in the name of Jesus. They held this struggling girl down with all their effort and weight, and she fought with all her tiny might, struggling, gagging as they pry their, try to pry her mouth open and stick her fingers down her throat and put their weight on their neck and her chest or her waist. <coughs> oh, and her legs. Let's not forget the legs. Hernandez and her family then spent several hours trying to induce vomiting until her daughter vomited a clear purple liquid. Several hours. This goes on for several hours. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say there's no way a medical examiner could know exactly how long this would have gone on. Again, this is, this is their testimony. They feel perfectly comfortable revealing these details that, that would have never come to light. It was the name of Jesus. It's not them doing it. It's God working through them. And so after several hours, it's amazing that this child survived for several hours. She finally ejects some clear purple liquid she told police that she suspects her daughter who was given nothing to eat since about 9 p.m a day earlier died between 6 p.m and 6 30 p.m almost 24 hours on the 24th of september so she was starved and then tortured and then choked out her last and then they stood around there for two hours before calling the police. Days before she was arrested in January, Hernandez told her followers on YouTube, I could sit here and be negative, be sad about the whole situation that she passed away. Yes, you could. You could show some remorse. You could do that. But instead, this is what she says. But it's like, there is no point because it is what it is. It's many reasons why God took her. God took her for many reasons. God, God didn't just have one reason, folks. He had many reasons. And by the way, I didn't kill her. God 
took her. Notice how the responsibility shifts because it's not us doing the exorcism. We're just instruments. God does what he does. God took her for lots of reasons. What if something would have happened to her? What if she would have had a sickness? What if something would have happened to her? Like, for instance, she's born into a family of fucking lunatics. This was the mother saying, what if something would have happened to her? If we hadn't done this, she might have had a sickness. Thank God we were there to exercise this demon because if we had let her live, she might have had a sickness. It is what it is. I gotta be positive about the situation. You know, like at least she's not suffering. It is what it is. I gotta be positive. I, you know what this translates to? I'm glad she's dead. I'm glad she, she has, this is, this is her thought process. I'm glad she's dead because look at what she avoided. I mean, had she been alive, had, had she been allowed to go on demon possessed like that, she would have just suffered. Thank God she's no longer suffering. In fact, she's even more explicit. She said, that's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for it. I'm really thankful for this. That she's not gonna grow up in that world. She's not gonna grow up all demon-possessed and maybe get sick. Like in that world we live in. You know, in, in, in our world, in this, in this messed up world, I'm so glad she's dead. Thank you, God, for taking her out of this evil world and honoring me with the privilege of handing her over to you. Claudia Hernandez, YouTube, Elisa Santos. According to the Mercury News, Iglesia Apostoles, why Prophetess meets in the back of a house and serves about 25 members of the local Salvadoran and Mexican community. Timothy Watkins, a theology professor at Canisius University, criticized the use of exorcism on a three-year. Old is unusual and relegated the practice to the radical fringe of Pentecostals. Okay. So we're moving into the second half of this. I'm going to try to let uh, a lot of this read through. I'm out of breath. I'm sitting down. <laughs> I'm sitting down in the studio. Um, this is just... Um, so, uh, fringe, fringe group. Uh, this person at, you know, whatever seminary, university, uh, relegates it to radical fringe of Pentecostals. What the fuck? Do you know the first thing about Pentecostals? This is not a radical fringe. This is the fat middle. This is the mainstream. It's not just Pentecostalism. It's Catholicism, the largest religious group in the world. And these aren't the only two groups who believe in demon uh, possession and exorcism. It's certainly true that the sort of radical fringe of Pentecostals believe in exorcisms and practice them and believe people can be possessed by the devil Watkins told the Mercury News. They believe that laying your hands on people and calling the devil out in the name of Jesus is a way to rid them of their possessions. You don't see that too often in Pentecostal circles today, but you do see them in the radical fringe. Bull. Shit. 
David K. Bernard, author of Spiritual Gifts and General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International which boasts more than 5 million adherents globally and some 800,000 in the US, challenged Watkins' characterization of the status of the practice of exorcism in the Pentecostal Church. All branches of historic Christianity have taught the existence of evil spiritual forces such as demons and have practiced exorcism or prayer to expel them. The Roman Catholic Church with which Canisius College is affiliated, still practices exorcism Bernard said in a statement to the Christian Post. Thank you very much for saying exactly what I just said. Um, yeah, this is not mainstream. When you are having uh, debates or you're looking at debates uh, on on boards like this one, you know, wherever you're uh, picking this up at, discussion boards on the internet, those Christians generally deny a lot of things, a lot of practices, a lot of beliefs that Christians hold because they want to accuse atheists of strawmanning Christianity. But what they're actually doing is gaslighting you. They're they trying to say that our characterization of Christianity is wrong. And it's just the fringe group who believe that particular thing or act in that particular way. They are lying to you. It is not the fringe group. It is a fat fucking middle. And they know it. Pentecostals today also practice exorcism. For example, if someone manifests severe spiritual and emotional disturbance in the context of worship, Pentecostals will pray in the name of Jesus Christ for the person to be delivered and healed. They also recognize that many problems can have physical and psychological components, or causes, for which they recommend appropriate treatment he added. Probably the professor was referring to aberrant, sensational practices or techniques by fringe groups, which most Pentecostals don't accept. Nevertheless most Pentecostals today, not just a fringe group, believe in the importance of prayer for deliverance from forces of evil. In the Handbook of Pentecostal Christianity theologian Keith Warrington also explained that even though they have diverse views about the demonic and exorcism, Pentecostals, in general, accept that the devil and influential demons exist. Okay, why do they have such diverse views about the devil and influential demons and exorcism? Shouldn't that be a clear biblical teaching? Where's where's the room for all of this diversity here? Citing multiple scriptures from the New Testament, Pentecostals maintain that demons, who are ruled by Satan, are antagonistic to God and often harm those they inhabit, either with an illness or by impelling the victim to self-harm. This is not just Pentecostals. Demons are also described as dirty or unclean and evil. Since the devil is characterized as being involved in temptation, Pentecostals assume that demons have a similar role, oppressing Christians and initiating negative behavior. Consequently, they subscribe to the view that such malevolent forces need to be excised wherever possible, Warrington notes. Pentecostals believe that casting out demons or exorcism is part of the Gospel Commission, the authority contained therein being available to all Christians, Matthew 10, 8, Mark 16, 15, 20, Luke 9, 1, he adds. Pentecostals believe demons attack both Christians and non-Christians through oppression and possession. For Christians, the attack can run the gamut of temptation through persistent oppression of the mind to total control of a specific area of one's life. Once again, 
this is not just Pentecostals. Notice how many times, every, every paragraph uh, here, last few, uh, last few of those paragraphs, started with the words, Pentecostals believe. This is not just Pentecostalism, folks. While non-Christians can be dominated by demons, Pentecostals maintain that Christians can overcome demonic influence with supernatural power they get through prayer, self-discipline, and maintaining a close relationship with God. Every Christian I know believes some version of that. Most Pentecostals would accept that on some occasions sickness or suffering may be caused by the presence of demons that need to be exorcised, Matthew 9, 32, 34, 12, 20 to 29, 17, 14, 21, Warrington writes. However, it is not to be assumed that, because an illness was associated with demonic activity in the Gospels, Matthew 12, 22, 29, such an illness always results from demonic activity, Mark 31, 37. It was noted that while the approach to exorcisms can vary among different Pentecostal groups, to prepare for the ritual, those involved in the process usually pray, sometimes fast and lean on the gift of discernment to diagnose the situation and offer a prognosis. Okay, um, just a point of order, sometimes fast. Why sometimes? If, if it's clear what you're supposed to do in these cases, <clears throat> Why is it sometimes fast, sometimes not? Some people believe this, some people believe that. Aren't there actually any instructions? Perhaps the next paragraph. Although a methodology is not prescribed, nor may one be identified in the Bible. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> okay. So there's no methodology. We're just winging it. We're just winging it. We're making it up as we go. You know, there, there are one or two things that we can pick up from the Bible. The rest of it, we're just kind of winging it. The use of the name of Jesus, Mark 16, 17, Acts 16, 18, and the incorporation of a command that the demon leave its victim, Mark 1, 25, are of importance, Warrington says. The theologian also warned that believers need to be careful when dealing with exorcisms to avoid getting this ministry wrong. Why? Why such, should such care be taken with exorcism? Isn't it a part of the commission for all Christians? And doesn't God grant you the power? How could it possibly go wrong? Although Pentecostals do not distinguish between leaders or clergy and laity functioning in exorcism. In other words, anybody can do it. They have generally expressed caution in areas. Relating to the demonic, a caution driven partly by awareness of the dangers associated with getting this ministry wrong. What? dangers. What da If you're doing what God says and you're dressed with the whole armor of God and you're praying that Jesus cast out that, what could possibly go wrong? Warrington says, few would claim to have a gift of exorcism and the role of exorcist has not been adopted within Pentecostalism. I mean, we believe in it and we do it, but we don't have any official roles of exorcism like we do apostles or prophets. It's, it's just a common thing that anybody can do. While exorcisms aren't very popular in Western culture today, some Pentecostals believe that the role of the demonic in many Western contexts is more subtle and disguised than elsewhere, Warrington explains. Oh my. Okay, here we go. Here we go with the hiddenness of God and the hiddenness of demons. You know, because all of the superpowers are hidden. They're all hidden. Your guardian angels are hidden. Your, your, um, demons are hidden. The devil is hidden. God is hidden. And so in places where education level is higher, that's uh, it, this is what you can read for 
Western culture today. Um, in places where education levels are higher, some Pentecostals believe that the role of demons in many Western contexts, what does that mean? I, th I think there's a lot hidden in there, is more subtle <laughs> and disguised. <laughs> you know, because when people are a little bit smarter, demons hide <laughs> for, for some mysterious reason. Rather than assume that the Limited number of exorcisms in the West indicates an absence of the demonic. They argue that the paucity of such phenomena may actually point to the ubiquity of the demonic in the Western world. This is how the Christian mind works. Follow the bouncing ball. Because there aren't many exorcisms compared to other places in the West. It may seem like there are fewer demons, but because... Because it seems like there are fewer demon possessions, the phenomena might actually point to the fact that everybody's demon-possessed. It, it's ubiquitous in the Western world. It's not just a possession here or there. It's everywhere. Everyone's demon-possessed, and so no one can see it. <laughs> this, is, this is how they work. If you show me evidence... Uh, of the culture where demons are not active, I will take that same evidence and use that as evidence that the demons are actually more active. They're more active because you can see them less. Warrington notes, it is probable they assert that demonic activity in the West is even more dangerous by its devious nature. Believers must be aware that the battle is not always overt but subliminal and no less undermining. Yeah, you see, the battle... <laughs> spiritual warfare. The battle, it's not over. Really, there's a spiritual war, they say. <laughs> Trust us. There is. There really is a spiritual war. <laughs> and uh, it's not always overt, meaning it's invisible. It's not obvious. You can't see it, but it's worse than that. It's subliminal. It's not, it's not physical at all. It's in that spiritual realm. See how much work dualism uh, does for the Christian? See, once you, once you have, you know, the substance dualism, you can put all the invisible stuff in that other realm. So, yeah, these demons, they're invisible. They're subliminal. And they're more powerful than ever. The Bible, the Spirit as well as other believers are all recognized as potentially playing a significant part in combating demonic activity. And thus the article ends, again, with a weird bit of ambiguity. It says, um, they're recognized as potentially playing a significant part. Now, what is potentially playing a significant part in combating demonic activity? The Bible, the Spirit, isn't the Holy Spirit, and other believers. But even this Christian magazine can't say that they're definitely doing it. It just says that people recognize these elements as potentially, maybe, playing a role in combating demon activity 
I'm sorry, Brian. Maybe this isn't evidence of demon demons after all. I, I'm sorry. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>